to the Cult of Domesticity podcast, a podcast about history, true crime, and whatever life brings us. I'm Courtney, and every week I am joined by another fascinating person. Let's see what we're going to talk about this week. Welcome back, devotees. We're back with Nikki T and Groot, her dragon. <laughs> hey! <laughs> so, we've moved from strictly homicide to strictly depressing, which should be my other tagline. <laughs> like it we're gonna hashtag that hashtag strictly depressing (laughs) so have you heard of the baling oh i'm gonna mispronounce this balingaga massacre in in the philippines i have not okay it doesn't sound good it does not the word massacre is in there uh before we start i'm gonna thank my friend aaron johnson for research aid she helped me get um some articles that i couldn't get access to because University access is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the JSTOR access. I appreciate you. <laughs> really, it's what it is. People who've heard the Puerto Rico episodes know about the Spanish-American War. It's the same period, so it's just more American colonialism. You're welcome. <laughs> so we have in 1898... It's William McKinley. He's from Ohio, guys! (laughs) He's one of our many presidents. He uh, got the America into the war with saying, quote, remember the Maine to war with Spain, end quote. So (laughs) the thought was, in Cuba, the Spanish blew up the ship, the USS Maine, and America was like, to war! Because that makes sense. Yep. If you've learned about yellow journalism, this is it. You know, the Pulitzer and Hearst really encouraged war. So, <laughs> Hearst, the newspaper, right? Yes, the newspaper people that we now revere. So you know of Hearst Castle, right? Yes. That's where I grew up. Oh, yeah. Oh, fun. So you say, oh, the Spanish-American War, it's only in the Caribbean. <laughs> Lies. <laughs> As uh, Secretary of State John Hay described it, quote, a splendid little war, end quote. <laughs> it was going to include Cuba, Puerto Rico, Guam, and the Philippines. <sighs> We're going global, y'all. <laughs> I recommend getting your comfort drinks. That's how global we're going, that it's going to be bad. America was going to liberate the Philippines. I'm I'm air quoting so hard my fingers hurt. (laughs) I can hear the air quotes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, On top of it, they decided, you know what would be great for the Philippines? If we imposed Americanism onto them afterwards and made it a colony, quote unquote, colony, because technically America's never had Mm. (laughs) definitions. The Philippines had been a small republic. They had been expanding to other islands, and they were actually... The reason why they were popular is their strategic position in the Pacific. So, you know, like, Spain was like, this is great. We like to go around and get things. And other countries like to land here so they can refuel. Mm-hmm. This is awesome. And America's like, I see you, boo. We're gonna take it. Oh, America. <laughs> Marca! <laughs> This is not America bashing. This is a recognizing what we did. So don't fight me. Okay. If you are going to fight me, fight me with facts. 
Emilio Anteiro. Uh, Aguatanado, the Filipino leader. Got <laughs> I it. I speak some Spanish. Hey. <laughs> Un poquito. Uh, he's the Filipino leader against Spain. He had been an ally in, to America in the Spanish-American War. And he established an independent Philippine Republic. Everything's fine, guys. Everything's fine. But, you know, President, soon-to-be President McKinley was like, you know what? These islands, quote, unfit for government, and they would soon have anarchy and misrule over the worse than Spain was, end quote. Or, as he continued, quote, there was nothing left for us to do but take them all and to educate the Filipinos and uplift and civilize and Christianize them and by God's grace do the very best we could by them as our fellow men for whom Christ also died, end quote. Oh, that sounds so Christian of them. Yeah, so Christian. We're going to go over here. We're going to plop ourselves down and tell you what you're doing wrong. And then we're going to shove Christ in your face. <laughs> McKinley, as his uh, good old Methodist self was, reminded his delegates uh, who were negotiating peace with Spain about, quote, the commercial opportunity which American statesmanship cannot be indifferent, end quote. So they're like, remember, the economy, bitch. <laughs> Don't forget, there's still Filipino people living here. It's not just Spain and America talking and plotting. There's real people who were like, hey, we fought for independence. What you doing, asshole? <laughs> so we get the Philippine-American War of 1899 to 1902. During this period, I'm bad with numbers. That's okay. Me too. 100, <laughs> 126,468 American soldiers would deploy to the Philippines. Of them, 4,243 did not survive or died. An estimated 16,000 to 20,000 Filipino soldiers died, along with about 20. Are two hundred thousand civilians. Any anytime there's round numbers, I just feel very uncomfortable because mm-hmm. that means they don't know. Exactly. They don't know what happened. Oh, this war. Remember, they just fought a war against the Spanish, and then the Americans show up and like, hey, we're gonna rule you now. So they're like, mm, how about not? So this war begins in Manila in 1899, and the Americans are like, we've got this. We'll get the developed area. They did a good job. And then they discovered what the Spanish knew. Hmm. The southern islands are really, really hard to control because they're jungle and mountains. Such island of Samar. It will come back up. Not in a good way. I thought so. (laughs) Anytime dates or names or places are mentioned, it's never good in this podcast. So, Brigadier General Robert P. Hugenstad, that is a name, said, quote, Samar has never been organized. The Spaniards never subdued Samar. The Spaniards never risked going into the interior of the island, end quote. So basically what I said about them just conquering the easy areas, like flat, not mountainous, not jungle, is true. So now the Americans have to deal with that. Think of this as the turn of the century Vietnam. <laughs> In warfare style. <sighs> I'm going to say, if you have a comfort drink, please get your comfort drink now. It's going to get real dark. We're going to talk about torture. <laughs> so. Oh, also, if I'm quoting something and there's language that is not 
appropriate or is racially offensive, I am quoting from the time. Yes. I do not believe this because the N-word is dropped a few times and I will say it because it's historically accurate. I do not believe it. I do not use it. It is what the soldier said. Yes. Throw it, I will throw it out there before I say it, but I'm disclaimer. So the American soldiers who arrived in the Philippines really didn't know what they were fighting for. As one troop wrote, one uh, soldier wrote home, quote, we feel that every man of ours that is lost is worth more than the whole damn island. We don't even know what we're fighting for hardly, end quote. So, like I said, the conventional ar- attacks work when they're on flatlands, traditional warfare situations. Yeah. Not against guerrilla warfare, which Aguinaldo switches to at the turn of the century. Fighting skirmishes and ambushes, not layout battles. So... If you're thinking of Napoleon, when they're lining up in a battlefield, or like you see in the horrible, horrible, historically inaccurate movie, The Patriot, when they're fighting on flat battlefields, that is traditional warfare. They are fighting guerrilla warfare, which is skirmishes, ambushes in the jungle, popping up on people. But it works for the Philippines, and it worked, again, in Vietnam. Like I said, this is very similar to Vietnam. So, in response... The Americans split their troops into smaller forces with garrisons scattered throughout the archipelago of the Philippines. Think about it. If you're fighting a guerrilla war, you need a bunch of little people around so you can attack back. Yeah. On top of it, it's hard for them to identify their enemies. It's a guerrilla war, so they look like, uh, you know, civilians. They're not wearing uniforms. And they pretend to be friends. Mm-hmm. Warning! This is gonna be some racist terminology coming up again. So, William Howard Taft, and I like that this article I found put his weight in there, so I included it. The 325-pound <laughs> future president, he was our first civilian U.S. commissioner of the Philippines, would refer to the Filipinos as, quote, our little brown brothers, end quote. Oh. So... It's bad, but that's not what I was talking about. Yeah. So, re- remember, he is the commissioner, so he's the top person. Let's go to what the people on the ground say. Those soldiers I mentioned um, sang, because this is a song, quote, He may be the a brother of big old Taff, or big Bill Taff, but he ain't no brother of mine, uh, end quote, and tended to refer to the locals by the derogatory epithets as, quote, unquote, niggers, or, quote, unquote, gungus. Mm. So, on top of it, they also referred to them as uh, uh, Indians. There a lot of derogatory things towards Native Americans where I, re- I read about where they were talking about killing Native Americans. It's bad. Let's put it this way. It was bad. I can't unread them. So, what do they do? They would detain as many Filipinos as they could. They wouldn't talk. And then the policy became, okay, you're going to hold them until you talk. Well, this is where the torture comes in. I warned you. Please fast forward about five to ten minutes till this goes through. Because I have detailed descriptions and it's not gratuitous you in my sense we did it we need to acknowledge it so they would uh use the quote-unquote water cure which we'll get to that but first they would burn crops 
forcibly resettle populations, which are kind of standard war policies, um, and areas of heavy guerrilla concentration. And this is really, funny enough, what followed Spain's program in Cuba, which made the Americans angry about that and caused the Spanish-American War. But we're fine, guys. We're not imperialists. <laughs> Let's get to the torture. And this is uh, drawn from Lieutenant Grover Flint, the son-in-law of the historian John Fisk. Quote, A man thrown down on his back and three or four men sit or stand on his arms and legs and hold him down. A carbine barrel or a stick as big as a belaying pin is simply thrust into his jaws and his jaws are thrust back and if possible a wooden log or stone is put under his head or neck and so he can be held more firmly in this in the case of very old men i have seen their teeth fall out and i mean when it was done a little roughly a little a little yes oh he he is simply held down, and then water is poured onto his face, his throat, and nose from a jar, and that is kept until the man gives up, gives some sign, or becomes unconscious. And then, he is simply rolled aside so rudely that the water is expelled. The man suffers tremendously, and there is no doubt about it. Water is sometimes administered from a syringe, or by means of a bamboo pole and canteen. I'm going to mention, I also read that they discussed using dirty water was better. Continuing on from this quote, on at least one occasion, salt water was used, and another on another, a prisoner's jaws were held open by a brass cartilage, which in his struggles, he crushed it flat between teeth. So a bullet cartilage, cartridge. He crushed it flat. Mm. Diversity was chiefly exhibited, however, in the means to expel the water and shock the victim into a state of consciousness and confession. Not always was the sufferer simply rolled aside. In one case, he was punched in the pit of his stomach for a period of 10 minutes. In another case, and this is a quote within the quote, a good heavy man jumped on his stomach, sending a gush of water from his mouth into the air as high as six feet. Oh and that's the end of the quote within the quote. Wow. Other means Yeah, I'm still not done. <laughs> Other means of torture were a diet of salt fish and no water, hanging a prisoner from the neck for ten seconds and then threatening him to re- repeat the process until the desired information was obtained. Then the rope cure again really hard air quotes. Tying the victim's waist and neck from separate pieces of rope connecting them to it with a third piece of rope and then drawing the ladder tighter and tighter with revolutions of a wooden stake, end quote. And that's from Ameri- the article American Atrocities in the Philippines, it, the indictment and response by Richard E. Welch Jr. Mm. How do you feel? Gross. Ugh. Yeah, so- Torture always just bothers me, though. I'm- it bothers me because these are just common men. And this is what they're doing. They're like, okay, we're going to walk. It's not even waterboarding. Because waterboarding, in a sense, you can fill up your mouth. They're taking basically a straw, putting it in your mouth, forcing your mouth open, holding your limbs down so you can't even fight it. And then basically suffoc- Like, as someone who's seen people start to drown, that's the one thing that's really always fucks me up. 
they're basically dry drowning him and then i'm thinking if they just roll him onto the side that doesn't mean all the water's getting out so you're still going to later on drown like your lungs still have water at least if you're jumping on their stomach as much as it's going to break your ribs and bruise some organs they're going to get get the water out and then they mention basically so the diet of saltfish they're basically dehydrating your body then there's the temporary hanging repeated temporary hanging and the rope cure which is basically if you think about they're hog tying you kind well they're not hog tying you because they're not doing your feet but similar and basically slowly this is medieval torture methods and the only reason i learned about this is the point at the end but you can't act like you're a good person after that no i'm sorry but and you also said that um because you know they're wearing normal street clothes how how often did they pick up a normal street person? You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. mm. yeah, yeah. No, it's um, like I said, it's very similar to the Vietnam War, where because it's a guerrilla war, we don't know who the enemy is, so we're just gonna pick up anyone we think is the enemy. It doesn't matter. Yeah, nope. It's that's why I said the round numbers bother me because we don't know. Yeah, and we did it. We don't know. Then we have. General Vicente Lubacan proclaiming himself governor of Samar under Aquiliano's Filipino Republic. So we have someone saying, okay, I'm the governor of this island. They're like, okay, cool. He's not a great guy, demanding complete allegiance and punishing those who didn't listen very severely on top of that. So the American soldiers arrive in Samar Lubicon's control is well established. So basically, he's terrorized this island into his control. They set up the soldiers in the coastal towns on the island as Lubicon retreats into the jungle with his followers because he knows the Americans won't follow him there because it's jungle. Again, we didn't have Agent Orange and all those horrible things we had in Vietnam. Lubicon has established a spy network Remember, he's not great, but he's also, if you think about it, he's Filipino. <laughs> so are you going to go with the Americans or are you going to go with the Filipino? It's like, the devil you know, the devil you don't. And so he knew everything was going on. But Lubicon is noted, even though he's a really violent, div- like, controller of the island, he is committed to Philippine independence. So I said this is about a massacre. <sighs> Let's get to that point. <laughs> Because you're just talking torture. <laughs> I'm just talking about the Filipino-American War. Mm-hmm. And we haven't gotten to the specific incident. Ah. It gets so much work worse. Get your cup of rage. Just cozy up because it's going to flow with over. <laughs> you picked this one specifically for me, didn't you? <laughs> Company C of the 9th Infantry, this is Americans, arrived in Baliana on the coast of Samar, August 11th, 1901. So the war has been going on for about two, three-ish years. Mm-hmm. We don't really know why they're there, which is great. Um, so one reason could be the mayor of Balaniana, Presidente Pedro Abanyan, requested their presence uh, because they had dangerous Moro pirates. And so we're just going to go with that. Why not? They arrived not knowing that, quote, such raids had practically become non-existent over the past half century, end quote. So, it's a trap! (laughs) 
General Lupacan, Albion, and other uh, officials, and I think they've kind of, the consensus is they, they, they trap these American troops to coming there under false pretenses to attack them. So, you think this is one massacre? Just wait. Uh, so, <laughs> it gets so much worse. Uh, other sources station, uh, said that the American troops were stationed close to Balianga port and disrupted the supply lines of the Filipino Revolutionary Forces they brought in. The American troops being so close to Balianga's port disrupted the supply lines to the Filipino Revolutionary Forces. Because remember, they're inland, so they need to get the supplies from the coast to them. This is supported by a letter from the first lieutenant, Edward Bumbus of Company C, and he wrote that they were there, quote, in Balianga to prevent the use of the port to smuggle supplies to the Filipino guerrillas, end quote. So even though historically we're a little iffy, it seems like the soldiers knew that they were there to make sure that the guerrillas weren't getting supplies. And the, um, I'm going to just say, it's the, the story... There's a general timeline, but then you have the American side, then the F- Filipino side, and I've mashed them together. And the soldiers arrive. We don't think there's an attack planned. We hope there's not. Let's all happily hope that everything's going to be fine. It's not going to be fine, but let's hope. So we have General Hughes, who would testify before a Senate committee on the Philippines, you know, because it goes that well, um, that... He had chosen Captain Thomas Connell to go to Samar. You know, he's like, I p- Pikachu, I pick you. <laughs> you seem the best to go. Let's destroy Connell. He's devoutly Catholic. He's a graduate of West Point, And he believed in Taft's line of benevolent assimilation in the Philippines. He sounds I'm sorry, wonderful. Son. <laughs> yes. He, he's read that determination, hook, line, and sinker. And he goes, you know, they just need help to become more civilized. It's fine. I got it. It's cool. <laughs> um, I'm sure you have heard this term. It, it's kind of known as white man's burden. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's basically think of the American war with the Philippines as white men coming in, sharing their burden to civilize us all. Canal actually was friendly to Filipinos. He wanted to gain their trust and hoping they might embrace Americanism. That's what I'm calling American colonialism. It's Americanism. So, I mean, at least he's nice about it. He's friendly. He's kind. He's that stereotype of Americans. We always smile at everyone. Oh, yeah. So, General Hughes would later complain about his decision about sending Canal to Samar. Quote, the fact has since developed, which I did not know that this officer has sh- had shown rather unusual confidence in the natives in Luzon. Of course, I knew nothing of it at the time, end quote. So basically, he's like, he's too friendly. He's too fragile, is what the general is saying. He's too fragile. I shouldn't have sent him there. He needed to be more insulated in Americans. Cause he's that good old boy who's friendly and tips his hat to ladies. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so Canel, with his optimism, arrives. He is concerned about the cleanliness of the town, and he's trying to basically figure out to civilize the town and get the people to clean up their homes. It's not working. It does not go well. He asks pres- uh, the mayor, Presidente Albanon, to persuade people to clean up their homes. No. Then he was going to moralize 
Balianga. As you can imagine, as most people go around moralizing, it does not go well. No. (laughs) He um, is really preoccupied with the men's love of cockfighting and the young women's dress, or as my favorite part of this article I found, or the lack thereof. (laughs) So their nudity. He's offended by titties. I'm going with he's offended by titties. (laughs) So on top of the, like, the Filipino people enjoying this. American soldiers also enjoy both cockfighting and titties. Mm-hmm. And if they say they don't, they're lying. <laughs> I know, they're like, it's like, they're going to brothels, and they're going to cockfights. Like, as much as I don't approve of, like, cockfighting, it's just like, I get it. Like, you're in war, you're just like, yeah, blood! Yeah. So, Canal is not really pleased about this, so he goes to his local priest, and the priest is like, nah, bro, not going to deal with this. <laughs> You're on your own. Yeah. And he, the priest goes, you got to look at this practical, not pious. Cockfighting, well-established in the culture. You're not getting rid of it. Like, pragmatically, you're not, you're not going to get that out of their culture. Yeah. It's going to take you generations to do that. Um, for the women, remember, turn of the century, you have Victorian styles. Yeah. Lots of layers. Mm-hmm. You're in the Philippines. It's hot as fuck. Yeah. I ain't wearing that shit. <laughs> I'm not wearing that shit now. As everyone knows, podcasters have to turn off their AC and it's too hot for that shit. And so, yeah, the priest is like, uh, they can't afford them, the clothes. Also, it's too damn hot. I'm assuming it... Yeah, I didn't think about the money either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just like the priest is just like... I'm assuming he said it in a more priestly way, but basically, oh, yeah. like, they pour... And it's too damn hot. Mm-hmm. So, Canel is really worried about that, but he, he's like, you know what? I'm not going to step in. It's their their issues. Then we're going to go back to the women. American soldiers interacting with local women has uh, been a little problematic. Some say local women were used as decoys for the insurgents. Oh. Mm-hmm. They would apparently lure a soldier into the jungle where he would be distracted aka sexy time, and then killed. Oof. I guess he went out happy, though. I mean... Well... (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Yeah. As one historian wrote, quote, the men learned from this blunder, and the next decoy was dragged under a hut and repeatedly raped, end end quote. Ugh. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna have some of this wine. It's bad. In other accounts of the period... Soldiers would take advantage of local women, a.k.a. rape them, because advantage isn't true. They would rape them on a regular basis, or they would frequent uh, sex workers. But if you think about it, probably not all the women they frequented were sex workers. Well, and they were, I'm sure they tried to hide. They didn't, I'm sure they were, want, didn't want anyone to find out either, so they're not, you know, they're not going to make it obvious, so they're going to take what they want Mm. but you have to think if what we know about guerrilla wars if they know it like say it gets out to one person and they know so canal had no knowledge uh, of this so basically the rapes and again unfortunately this is not uncommon in war which hurts my heart very much so three young girls approached canal saying that his men raped them he was Furious, which, good on you, boy. I, I'm not mad about this. 
and then post i know posted the following orders quote I will construe any act of physically touching the body or limb of a native woman by a member of this company as rape and will recommend that soldier be court-martialed and shot. Think of how this will this disgrace will sadden your mothers and loved ones at home, end quote. Who's basically like, if you touch them, it's rape. You will be shot. Wow. Think of your mom. Wow. Because if you're, if you're court-martialed and shot, they're not getting anything. So, uh, yeah. And then after that happened, he's like, remember that me being lenient on cockfighting? Yeah, that's gone. Oh, you consuming Filipino alcohol? That's gone. Because he really wants a good relationship with the local people. He's one of the few. He also forbids such words as, again, I do not prescribe to these words, but historically, historical accuracy, as quote-unquote nigger and quote-unquote goo to describe Filipinos. Again, I'm going to say this for the hundredth time, but I I do not condone using these words. But this is historically accurate. Well, and it's part, uh, that's part of the story. Like, you know. Yeah. Yes, it's, so, he, Canal was trying to, I just realized it's Connell. <laughs> I'm so used to, I'm trying to pronounce Filipino words and. It's okay. Amer- I did that one. I'm gonna. I called <laughs> his name was Liddell Lee, and I I recorded a whole episode saying Lendell. It's not even a name. Okay, okay, good. I'm not the only one. Okay, so Canal or Connell ordered his men not to carry their uh, weapons when not on sentry duty. So don't walk around the village or the town with your guns out. Mm-hmm. Again, let's get to some darkness. The soldiers then began to refer to Canal. Connell as a quote-unquote nigger lover for his yep I said it was bad for his naive confidence in the Filipinos because he wanted to believe the best in people yeah so August they 18th they got there so it's really only seven days since they got there they got there on August 11th realize this is all surrounding getting close to my birthday but it's fine Okay, so August 18th, Captain H.L. Jackson of the 1st U.S. Infantry had discovered Captain Lubathon's hideout, and they found letters among his belongings, and I'm going to quote them to you, so get ready for another long passage. Quote, As a representative of the town of Balianga, I have the honor to let you know, after having conference with the principals of the town about the policy to be pursued with the enemy in case they come in, we have agreed to have a fictitious policy with them, doing whatever they may like, and when the occasion comes, the people will strategically rise against them. This I communicate to you with superior knowledge, begging of you to make known all the army your favorable approval of the same, if you think it convenient. May God preserve you for many years. Balianga, May 30th of May, 1901. P. Abiyan, local president, end quote. So basically the local, like, mayor president is like, hey, we're going to let them come in. We're going to let them think we're working with them. And then let us know we'll rise up. Like I said, it gets worse. Um, And because, remember, it's the 1900s, so transferring information is real hella slow. Yeah. It It never reached Company C. And... Connell continues to be friendly with President Albayan and Abadanor. 
and we don't really know like there's disagreement on the direct impetus for this attack but it's not general lubatan uh Lubatan was aware what was going on, but he did not approve it. So, this is uh, secondary research from Professor Boriaga's. So, this is all coming from him. While cleaning up Balyanga, they found people who were forced to cut down vegetation with some food value, uh, which violated the strict orders from Lubatan regarding food security. So, on September 18th, Lubatan sends guerrillas into Balyanga to publish punish the Filipinos for violating that order. While this attack never occurred, um, it shows that Lubicon may have not been on the sides of the people of Baliaga. Oh. But, yes. What we do know is what set in the attacks and massacre in motion is uh, September 22nd, two drunken American soldiers attempted to molest a Filipino girl. And remember, you touch them. Yep. You're accused of rape. Yep. You're shot. It's just how it goes. So her brother, luckily her brothers came to her for defense and mauled the two assailants. <laughs> uh, and then there's some disagreement whether or not this would prompt uh, Connell's, Connell's orders to take in all of Balianga's male residents. Um, but the official records say Connell arrested them to, in order to secure forced labor to ha- hasten the cleanup of the town. Remember, he's trying to clean up from like Sex work, cockfighting, booze. And just generally make it pretty. As Edwin Bookmiller's testimony to the state, uh, the Senate Committee on uh, the Philippines stated, quote, Captain Connells had collected sev- 78 natives of the town and held most of them prisoners for police work, end quote. So that's also happening, too. Like, you're just like, you're on a powder keg, sir. You're sitting on it. We know that about 150 men were denied food while held overnight in cramped tents. Their homes were ransacked. Um, the soldiers confiscated all bolos, which held cultural capital for the Filipino men in the rural area. So they're taking, on top of their stuff, they're taking cultural worth. And you're just like, mm, again, not great. So Connell brought in more prisoners from around the island with the help of Abanador and Presidente Abayan, and he probably didn't realize that these workmen were probably, like, guerrilla war- warriors. So, let's get to the attack. We're 45 minutes in now. We haven't gotten to this attack. I've set the scene. So, there's, again, two versions of the attack. We have the Filipino version, we have the American version. Filipino version, American version. Gotcha. Fun things. Yep. <laughs> so... According, you're fine. According to the Americans, the whole attack is planned by Lubatan, who planned to ki- kill the soldiers from the time Presidente Albion requested their presence in Balianga. So another account said it was really because of the cruelty the Filipinos had experienced at the Mer- from the American soldiers. Yeah, people had been shamed, disgraced, imprisoned, mistreated. Some people had been raped, and they were like. Fed up. September 27th, Filipino women carrying small coffins through the church claimed a cholera, a cholera epidemic had killed many of the local children. And the sentry on duty was like, okay, weird, but okay, go go ahead. Go ahead. He would have seen, like, if he would have inspected the coffins, he would have noticed that the child was pretending to be dead and the coffin was filled with bolo knives. So they have knife coffins. With kids in it. 
Yeah, the kids are laying on top of said knives. Yeah. So it's a knife kid coffin sandwich. And remember, Connell said, hey, don't touch the women. So he can't search that either because you're going to touch the women to search. They're bringing the coffins. So, but if he had, he might have noticed that they weren't women. They were men dressing up as women. It's a historic trope of, hey, let's get away with things. Let's dress up as women. Um, Oh, yeah. They also had more knives. This is a story of a lot of knives. So, the attack. We finally have reached the massacre. Almost an hour in. So, the night before the attack. Built up, like, so much. Like, what they've been doing. It's a powder keg. Yeah. (laughs) The men and children are sent away as the men get ready to attack. (laughs) The morning of September 28th, they were dressed as women, presenting themselves for prayer offering at the church. And they have Valero Armandor, who grabbed private Adolfo, Adolf Gambin. I have to go between accents and I can't. Oh, I couldn't do it. You're... <laughs> it's messing me up. <laughs> so, Valero Abanador grabbed private Adolf, Adolf Gamblin from behind and knocked him unconscious with his rifle. Abanador then yelled attack and they started slaying guards in the convent and the municipal hall. So they're immediately like, okay, let's start from the church and move our way out. They rang the bells of Baliana to indicate that the attack had begun. So the villagers who know this is a signal immediately start attacking the soldiers. The soldiers who had been eating breakfast or reading the paper had no idea, had no defense because remember, they can't carry their weapons around. Oh. So you're you're in the ki- you're in the mess hall, you have kitchen utensils, chairs, steak knives. They basically start taking out a lot of American soldiers. The soldiers, Americans manage to regroup and find some firepower against the villagers, which then Abandador orders a retreat. They only have a few men left. They actually almost take out the entire company. And fearing that they might get attacked again, they fled to Balzi Samsmar. So... The guerrillas then seize the rifles, ammunition, anything they can. 48 American soldiers and 28 Filipinos are dead at the end of this day. When the Americans arrive at Bosnia the next day at 4 a.m., so they basically, they go an entire day. I, don't, I, can't, I couldn't find how long they fought back, but it seemed yeah. like it was like maybe a couple hours before they could group. So they're basically going almost an entire day marching to get there. Ugh. Uh Captain Edwin Bookmiller was there with Company G, and he was, remember, Connell was very kind to the Filipinos. Booker is the complete opposite. He was mean, didn't trust them, hate them. So, at 9 a.m. that day, Bookmiller gathers 55 volunteers of Company G. So, that's saying a lot. They saw these guys, and they're like, oh, hell no. Yeah. Bunch of people, bunch of guys volunteer, and they set out to Baliana with eight survivors of Company C. They arrive, they gather up all the locals in the area, and they had the survivors of Company C gun them down while they set the entire town on fire. (gasps) Oh, you think this is... Oh, no, it gets worse. (laughs) So, it's burning. Bookmiller famously declared, quote, they have sown the wind and they shall reap the whirlwind, end quote. Which is a boss-ass quote about a horrible ass thing. So, hundreds of Filipinos were killed that day, 
and thousands would die as a result. So let's get to the reaction. Like I said, your cup of rage shall filleth over. <sighs> we just got to the massacre. We haven't gotten to the worst part. Oh my goodness. You mean burning the city down was <laughs> Oh, it gets worse. <laughs> so much worse. I, that's why I asked if you had a happier story. <laughs> I'm going to cry myself to sleep tonight. <laughs> the sad thing is this is not as bad as what I told Scott from uh, Frozen Truth. <laughs> that, one's, that one's a little worse. Um, so the American people hear about this and they're just like, um, what? An entire company of, of strong young American men were cut down by the savages? Oh, hell no. <laughs> or as the evening, the evening world claimed, quote, the slaughter is the most overwhelming defeat of the, that American arms ha- has or have encountered in the Orient, end quote. Oh, yeah, by the way, they think this is the Orient, a.k.a. like Asia, which it is, kind of is, but it's... But in that sense, it's mystical. It's the other. Mm. There's a lot of things. I recommend reading Orientalism by Edward Said to understand how fucked up that is. But anyways, continuing, because I got to power through. So this reignites the war for the Philippines. All the men are like, I know what I'm fighting for now. Company C. Mm-hmm. And so many are blaming Connell because he was nice to him. And they're like, it's your fault. Uh. And it's like, oh. So we have, oh God, Edna R. Chaffee, commander of the American forces in the Philippines, said about the attack in the annual report to the War Department, quote, born, raised, and educated in the uh, country where peaceful conditions prevail and where all one's neighbors can be trusted, where security for life and property is assured by peaceful processes and through civilian civil means, I fear our soldiers translated to a strange sphere of action do not fully realize or appreciate the difference in their surroundings and naturally fall into air, the air of complacent trustfulness in seeming friendliness on the part of the native population, end quote. So basically he's like, they are our good old Kansas boys are too nice. Yeah. They're not going to get it. Meanwhile, Louboutin uh, sent out a telegram saying, Quote, provincial events like these clearly demonstrate the justice of God, end quote. On top of it, he added, quote, we desire you to attempt the same thing against the enemy and with them demonstrate in the sight of nations our dignity and with them bequeath to our successors fame and honesty with uh, fame and honesty, those successors whom we have made happy with their independence, end quote. So this is just the immediate reaction. Yeah. And remember those torture methods we talked about at the beginning? Uh-huh. Let's just ramp that up to 15. Uh-huh. So, they're like, oh, you're going to kill a whole company of ours? Let's get harsh. We're having uh, General Jacob H. Smith leading the charge in Samar. He gave... <laughs> it's so bad. He gave... It's, it's so bad. He gave the quote, I want no prisoners. I wish you to kill and burn. The more you kill and burn, the better you will please me. I want all pers- persons who kill, who are capable of bearing arms in actual hostilities against the United States, end quote. Which, this pretty much means, they, like, people ask, and they're like, okay, how young is that? And they're like, he's like 10. Uh-huh. 10 years old. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is, um, you should know, this is called the Howling Wilderness Campaign, because Smith wanted his men to turn Samar into a Howling Wilderness 
which they said, cool, bro. So the next, <laughs> told you it gets worse. <laughs> Very good at finding these. Um, they basically do a scorched earth policy. So they're going to kill everyone and they're going to burn your food. Take all your food. Burn everything. They killed thousands of Filipinos, mostly non-combatant, combatants, um, butchered them. We don't really know, but it's like uh, about 50,000 people. Uh, on top of it, and this is how I found out about it, the American army took the church bells, which symbolized the attack of that day, and brought them back to the United States as trophies, where they still are. So, yes, they are. Found a BBC article that was like, please send these bells back to the Philippines. Where are they? Uh, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, they took the bells. So they <laughs> they took them to the most random place. Um, the Warren Air Force Base in Cheyenne, Wash- or Wyoming. Which oh. I've been to Cheyenne, Wyoming. Okay. That's so weird. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So they took them to Wyoming. I like Wyoming, so I'm not going to diss them that much. Um, we're, yeah, so they took them back there because they were like, mm, war trophies, we're cool. <sighs> so, in 1902, Waller and Smith, so the two who are really in charge of this, because mm-hmm. remember Waller really kind of, he's the major, Smith is the general, really led this whole howling wilderness mm-hmm. movement mm-hmm. they were doing. Uh so they're court-martialed, and the charges include mass attacks against civilians and execution of prisoners. You're like, cool, we're going to get some justice. Sounds like it, right? <laughs> Again, remember I said this episode is a cup of rage where it runneth over. <laughs> Smith is reprimanded and lost his command with no other form of punishment. No way. No. Yeah. Oh my god. The general has no charges brought against him. Nothing at all? No, he's uh, he's basically, he's reprimanded, so he's like, bad job. I guess you can't be a general anymore. Okay, fine. Waller was acquitted on all charges because he is a Marine and cannot be subjected to an army court-martial. Oh my. So on a technicality. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You're bad. Well, oh, how you feeling? It's like a small town with the good old boys, but like real big. Mm. Like a country? Yeah. 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 Jeez. Yeah. No, it's, it doesn't feel great. It just sits there. Yeah. And just slow. You just get mad. And it slowly turns to stone because the only thing we can do, which I'll get to, is get these bells back. That's it. Uh, so... Mid-April 1902, Davis is writing his endorsement. The U.S. press, who probably got some information from a General Miles, um, filed the news of the American abuses in uh, Samar and elsewhere during the American-Philippine War. So they're like, hey, y'all, look what we did. It's not great. We probably should feel bad. A little bit. Um, So, April 11th. Senator Harry Cabot Lodge formed the committee on the Philippines and then they published a report on the brutalities by American soldiers. So we're like, hey, we're going to look into how much we fucked up. Yeah. They have hearings where witnesses talk about the interrogation by water cure and, you know, Lodge is like, oh, some American soldiers had tortured and killed Philippine guerrillas, but, you know... We gotta judge each case by it. Like, 
that. On top of it, like, we have American prisoners of war who've had their eyes slashed, their ears cut off, and their bowels cut off. I'm not saying war is nasty, but you want to hold yourself above the other person. And, oh yeah, he also mentioned, so Lodge continues that, he goes, uh, we also discovered servicemen who had been dismembered with axes, stoned to death, buried alive. So they're, I mean, both sides it's a guerrilla war. It's going to be nasty. It's going to be dirty. But it seems like the Americans have come in guns blazing. Exactly. They like to do. And I, just my reading of the interpretations of Lodge's report is it is very pro-American, which is not to be unexpected. But it's very much being like, look at all these things that happen to Americans. And that's why they're doing this. These boys wouldn't have done this without provocation. Oh my god. Yeah, right? <laughs> so, on t- then it becomes public mid-April, the testimony of Major Littleton Waller, that in Manila, they executed 12 Filipino c- civilians in Sa- Samsmar without trial. So they're <gasps> executing people without trial on top of it. So you're just like, okay, cool. <laughs> this is really dark. And that's really kind of all that happens. Like, nothing really happens. There's a Senate committee, and then there's no reparations. There's no acknowledgement of it. It's in the paper. And, like, sad to say, this is American tendency. Yeah, it is. We get outraged, but we don't really do anything. It happened happened in Vietnam. Enough people got outraged. We managed to force them to at least alter publicly. Mm-hmm. It happened in Iraq. Who's to say if we stopped doing what we were doing? But yeah, so let's get back to the bells. I was just going to ask you about the bells. I'm really concerned about these bells. So what can you do? If you feel mad about this, what can we do? Well, the bells of Baliaga, which I'm pretty sure I've been saying wrong this whole time. Don't fight me. But uh, I wouldn't be able to say it. So, uh... You know, most of us don't know about Americans fighting in the Philippines. Most of us don't know about American colonialism in the Philippines. And, you know, there's debating viewpoints on what happened in this massacre. Like, were they lured out there on purpose? Was it because of what happened? But what we do know is the Americans did take these bells from this town and take them back. To Wyoming. After, like, yeah, <laughs> after setting your town on fire. Mm-hmm. Yes. <sighs> and it's it was a mutual massacre on each side. We know that five times the number of Filipinos died compared to Americans. And it really debates this term of massacre. It was, you could say it's a skirmish. There's other things. So, for decades, the Filipinos have been trying to negotiate the return of the bells from Wyoming. For them, it symbolizes how they struggled for their independence, and they can honor those who fought and died in Balianga. Mm-hmm. Which is fair. Mm-hmm. You know? American veterans and civilians believe that the Bells should remain in the United States to honor the sacrifices made by the soldiers Mm-mm. who died in Balianga to defend American sovereignty and honor in the Philippines. I just can't agree with that. I just... Mm-mm. Yeah. Kimberly Aldorio writes, quote, several enlisted and civilian Americans expressed in interviews the fear that U.S. soldiers or the memory of U.S. bravery against the insurrecto would be greatly diminished by the view of the, that the Battle of Balianga was an incident of imperial co- conquest, end quote. 
So how, like, the question is, how will returning the bells alter the memory of this battle and this insurrection? And so, really, I personally, personally, I think return the bells. Yeah, I for sure think that. I mean, and there's a, a couple reasons why. One, I mean, um, we went there, okay? Uh, and, I mean, this is, oh, that just bothers me. Mm-mm. We went there. It was, I. the U.S. has a very complex relationship with the Philippines Mm -hmm. and for those of like it's not even our current president like historically we've had since us like the United States has had colonial experience over the Philippines we've had a very complex relationship with dealing with that we don't acknowledge it and whatnot and I think this would be a good way to show that country hey we're sorry <laughs> we Sorry. we are not we are not our ancestors yeah. basically we are not our ancestors let's return the bells we can like that's the thing about history is you can debate it you can debate mm-hmm. the meaning of something so yeah maybe you think the like Rubicon brought like lured them in that doesn't fine that day is fine that but the reaction mm-hmm. is still on us like it's you can't like. You can debate it, but the, like, as much as people say facts are facts, but in war, facts are blurry, facts yes. are fuzzy. I mean, in both sides, really, it's, it's, it's like they were just going back and forth, like, feuding high school seniors, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. I, that's exactly what it is. They're just going back and forth to see who can fuck the other one more. I mean, it's just awful. they're fighting over a girl and the girl is in like the island of the philippines yeah yeah so but in the end to me we went there is what bothers me so much and and we took something of theirs that and we're holding it like a killer would an earring yeah it's twisted it's really twisted and i really had never heard of this till the past like year or so and i saw it I saw an article about the bells and I was like so intrigued because I was like, you know, when you've never heard of something and you want to learn more about it. Yeah. And the more I learned, (laughs) the more I learned, the more frustrated I got because it's one of these cases where I think countries need to acknowledge when you mess up because it shows Mm -hmm. people go, Oh, it shows that you're vulnerable. It's like, no, it shows that you're people running your government are human and can make mistakes. Well, anyone, anyone, it's a lot of people are like that. They they don't. Me and my husband have this talk all the time about owning up when you're because he is the best at it. He's he's like I'm. I suck at it. He is so good at it. He will own up when he's wrong, you know. And that is so rare. Honestly, it really is. <laughs> and yeah, and like countries for sure. No, oh god. There's numerous occasions where I think the best the best occurrence of this is Germany, World War Two, like they had nowhere to hide. And you see them, they're like, Yeah, we did this. They shockingly just paid off their reparations for World War One. Like they're still paying them off. Which shows, you know what? This isn't us now, but we're gonna be better than them. So I think if we return the bells, we're proving that we're better than those people that came in. Mm-hmm. This is not me saying I agree with the president of the Philippines, because um, I don't. Yeah, no, it's, but... it's not. To me, it's not a sides thing. I just think it's 
it would be morally <laughs> right to, you know what I mean? But I'm not saying mm-hmm. they won or anything like that. Uh-uh. It's just showing we're, we're willing to take that high ground. We're willing to show history. We're going to take the high ground. And I think that's, for America, when we're so divisive right now, I think that would be a really good move. Oh, yeah. To be like, you know what? We didn't, not saying you didn't, like, you were perfect, but we also aren't perfect. And we would like to show you how sorry we are about a past. Here are these bells. Take them back. Because they ain't small bells. Let me tell you, they're, oh, I bet. they're giant bells. God, that's real sad. And it's really depressing to think that this aspect of their, they just want to honor their fight for independence, which they had been fighting for for so long since the Spanish arrived. And now they had to fight another imperial power for another, I think it's like about, it might be about 50 years. And you, you know what? If they, if that's how they want to symbolize them is the bells, even though they had to kill American soldiers to get that. I, as, as a country, as a country, we should honor that because we also had to fight for our independence. Mm-hmm. Mm. <sighs> Do you want to plug your show? <laughs> so if you want to hear something less depressing, no, I'm just kidding. It's not really. <laughs> Do you want to hear something a different version of depressing? <laughs> like I had to take a break from my most recent execution series because crimes were so awful. I can't. I got to take a break. I, I'll come back to it. I just listened to the last one today and I was just like, whoo. It's like writing something. I was like, oh, that's dark. Ar- Arkansas true crime. <laughs> just recently did a series on our Arkansas 8 but I only did six <laughs> for now. Um, you can find Strictly Homicide Podcast on iTunes, uh, Spotify, that Android one. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> All the places. <laughs> All the places. Um, social media everywhere. You, It's Nikki T. <laughs> Pretty, yeah, she'll be tagged in a bunch of stuff if you're on social media. You'll find her through through me. Yes. You know. <laughs> And we'll see who's coming up next because I don't know yet. I want you to plug your show though because I'm gonna play. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, oh yes. Uh, Cult of Domesticity, history, true crime, both horrible in different ways. Normally, uh, I'm on all podcast catchers, and you can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Domestic Podcast and Instagram at the Cult of Domesticity. Do lots of fun things. Um, I have recipes of the week. Just trying to reclaim the term domesticity to mean more fun things for modern humans. She is one of my favorite people to interact with and follow on all social media. So, <laughs> I'm posting pictures of my sister's dog. So if you want to see a cute German shepherd named Schnitzel, she's adorable. Yes. <laughs> I love her. Thank you for having me on. Of course, anytime. This is too much fun. <laughs> yes, for sure. We'll do it again. Less depressing. <laughs> I don't know if I can do that. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Bye. Bye. Are you getting sick and tired of hearing about Ted Bundy, Maura Murray, the Golden State Killer, West Memphis Three? Check out Strictly Homicide Podcast. 
a true crime show that discusses cases out of the natural state. And even though it's Arkansas, we won't be covering the West Memphis Three or the Boys on the Track anytime soon. So check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Podcoin, or basically wherever you listen to all your favorite shows. You can also find us on all social media platforms. And as Mr. T would say, I pity the fool that doesn't listen to Strictly Homicide. Hey everyone, I'm Lily. And I'm Britt. And we're the co-hosts of Lady Shit with Lily and Britt. We record out of a tiny little closet and talk about anything and everything related to being women today. Did you know that fast fashion is the second most polluting industry in the world? Or that the femtech space might soon be worth $50 billion? Or that women who swear actually have large vocabularies? Yeah, we talk good. As doctoral students, we're occasionally smart, putting in a little bit of research into every topic we cover. But mostly, we're just ridiculous. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ladyshit underscore pod. And you can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Podbean. Oh, and when you're searching, make sure lady shit is one word. And that you substitute the I for an exclamation mark. New episodes come out every three weeks, which we know makes no sense, but clearly nothing we do does. Of domesticity, we're available on all podcatchers. Remember to rate, review, subscribe to help spread the word, or just force other people to listen to it. Our Facebook and Twitter are at Domestic Podcasts, and our Instagram is at the Cult of Domesticity. We also have podcast merch at Threadless. Uh, as well, if you want to support us financially or show some appreciation, we have a PayPal tip jar and a Patreon, which has some pretty great perks. Any topic suggestions, feel free to email us at domesticpodcast at gmail.com. Remember to stay domestic and cult-free.